Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. Welcome back, everybody. I am so glad you are here. Let's dive in to episode number two. In today's episode, I want to expand on something that we talked about in the first episode, and that's the concept of individualized behavior plans. But more importantly, I am going to share with you the most frequently missing parts to effective behavior plans that I see every day through the work that I do. And really, guys, in all honesty, these five strategies that, again, are my opinion, are just forgotten about in general. Whether we're talking about an intervention plan, whether we're talking about strategies, just ways to help individual students where they have opportunities for growth in your classroom, these are my top five tips for the missing pieces that we see, that I see, on an ongoing basis. Before I dive into those though, little teaser there for you, I wanted to give you a little reminder about the plan that I had talked about in that first episode. So in episode number one, I mentioned and spoke about how in the fifth grade, I had what probably now would be a tier two support plan. It was to help me increase my confidence in speaking out in class. Now, I don't remember too much about the plan other than I had to carry around an index card with me and track how many times I raised my hand in class. I had a goal of being called on at least three times per day among my four core academic classes. Now, on one hand, I really love the privacy aspect of this plan, but on the other, I think it's missing some key factors, and that's something I see a lot of with plans that I consult with today. Without knowing the true reason, as I can't go back and ask my fifth grade teachers, I think the goal of my index card plan was to increase my confidence that by practicing more of raising my hand, I would feel more confident in class. This leads me to number one, involve your students. Guys, involve your students. I just said, I think the goal of the index card plan, I didn't know. If there is a plan for a kid, the kid needs to know. The kid needs to be involved, and that is a crucial piece that I often see missing. I also want to add into this tip to keep those plans private. My team nailed the privacy piece. I love the index card method as it's small, it's portable by the student, and it didn't stand out as I was in class. I didn't have to have a teacher constantly showing me a sheet or constantly saying, come here and look at this which then would have highlighted to my peers that I was doing something different, and nobody likes that. Keep the plans, keep the strategies, keep the permanent products, whatever you're using for your data collection, whatever you're using as part of your plan, small, portable, and private. But that first part, involving your students, I was in no part a part of the process. Guys, we have got to write the plan with the student as much as possible. When I had my plan in fifth grade, it was presented to me. I literally walked into class one day, was handed an index card, and told what to do. And I did it 
because I was a rule follower. Now, what I didn't know is my parents had had a meeting with the team about their concerns, but I was in no way involved. And that has got to change. I see this same thing happening today in schools. And I do my best to advocate, and I am advocating here. Involve the student to the best that the student can be involved. Involve them in their plans. Involve them in the strategies. Ask them. Ask them what's going on. Ask them what's working and what's not. Ask them if they even think the behavior is an issue. And if they don't, we've got to teach them why it is. We have to teach that perspective taking, that ability to see other points of view. But again, we have to listen to what they're saying. What problem is being solved by the behavior that they're displaying? Ask them, be ready for the answers that follow, and listen. Truly listen in silence and then listen some more. And here's a key. Don't just listen to the words they're saying. We've also got to listen to the body language they're displaying, to the actions that they're taking, to the words that they're not saying. Have you ever sat with a kid and talked about a situation and the words that they're saying, you know, are kind of just memorized or what what they think you think they want them to say, what they should say, and yet their body language, their facial expression, their tone, they don't match? We've got to listen through all of it. And if you have that student sitting in front of you, I would encourage you to say something like, all right, I hear you, but I also see you. And your words and your face don't match. So what do you really want to tell me right now? I am here. This is an open space. You tell me. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me what you want to tell me. And see if that doesn't change their ability to really kind of give you some more information. And for those students who are nonverbal, I, I can use this too. So for student, let me back up for a quick second. For students that are verbal, I have a conversation. It starts with a conversation. I highlight strengths. I talk about areas of growth. And a lot of times I will use a survey to ground the conversation. And I say ground because I'm one. Again, this is nothing about the student. This is about me as a practitioner. I know I tend to get off task pretty quickly. And sometimes my students do too. So a survey helps to ground me. It helps to remind me the questions to ask, the the questions to come back to, and it also helps the student know this is why I'm here. I'm here to learn more about them. For students who are nonverbal, I've also done this with pictures. Think about the game 20 questions. Create a bunch of pictures about the student and ask them, do you like this or this? Which one do you like more, this or this? If you could do this right now, what would you pick? This or this? We can focus on the things that they like because one, that's usually a skill in their wheelhouse. But secondly, if we know what a student likes, we all we automatically know what they don't like if you're using a forced choice piece. You can look at what were the pictures they picked most often and those are your highly preferred things, topics, tasks, you know, those kinds of things. Whereas... The things that they don't pick, you can automatically then put those more at the lower end of the, you know, of the pile, of the list, of the thing. So use the information you have. Get creative. One additional piece about the survey I just mentioned, if you use a survey with a student, make sure you apply the knowledge that you learned. I gave students, I use surveys a lot with students. And earlier this year, I was working in a classroom. We were doing a social skills intervention for the whole class. 
And I gave the students, when we started, I gave them a survey. And immediately I had one student who just gave me this look. He was so annoyed at me. So I went over, I, you know, I got down on his level and I said, what's going on? Why do you look so annoyed? He goes, teachers always make us fill these things out, but nothing changes. And I said, wow. I said, thank you for sharing that with me. And in my head, I said, challenge accepted. So that next week when I came in to do that class, you better believe my lesson was designed with that student in mind. Use the information you are gathering from the students. There is nothing worse, and we as adults are like this too, there is nothing worse than being asked your opinion on a survey by being asked to take time out of our day to fill something out to only see things not change in the future. Now, I'm not saying that we take everything the student says and we do all of it 100%. But we have to show that what was the purpose behind that conversation? What was the purpose in that survey? What was the purpose in those things? Don't do it because you think you should do it or the teacher next door did it. Do it with purpose for you. Get out of shouldville and make sure you are using the resource you are you know, collecting information from for that purpose. All right, so take away from tip number one, involve the students. Remember, we write plans with students, not for students, because in actuality, the plan is really for us, which leads right into the second thing missing from behavior plans. And the plans, and that is the plans are for adults, not the students. Until we have this mindset, effective change doesn't happen, or if it does, it takes a lot longer. The best behavior management strategy tool is you. Yes, you. It's not actually a strategy. It's a mindset. It's that mindset we hold towards behavior change. If we write a plan thinking the plan will change the student, guess what? We don't see the change. Why? Simple. We know this. We can't control the actions of anyone other than ourselves. We control our effort and our attitude, and this is the mindset that will increase our confidence in following the steps on the plan. Whoa, so those are two pretty big tips already. The first being involve your students in writing of the plan. Secondly, to keep the mindset that we write the plans for the adults and not for the students. All right, tip number three relates to a crucial part of the plan, And it's for every behavior we are aiming to decrease, which we usually name as the target behavior, I want to encourage you to look to increase at least three skills with the student. Three. Yes, three. And here's a story to help illustrate why. A couple of years ago, I was a part of a team meeting for a student. Yes, for a student. I have since learned to better advocate to making sure the student is a part of the meeting. So this student was showing elevated behaviors during math. So during a team meeting with the parents present, it was quickly evident actually how bright this student was. Top percentage of the class, top percentage of the grade. And one of the behaviors he was displaying was shouting out how much baby work he was doing. So I encouraged the team to think through how he was saying it and really listening to the message. What was he telling us? He was telling us the work was too easy. Beyond calling the work baby work. I do need to also add, he was also flipping desks, throwing materials, screaming, and throwing chairs. All right, so pretty significant reaction. Now, if we had focused on one replacement behavior only, 
it probably would have looked something like, you know, the student will take a break using a break card with adult prompting. Not Maybe not specifically like that, but you get the picture. Or maybe it would have been the student will hold up a red card to signal to the teacher he's frustrated instead of engaging in challenging behavior. The problem with this is it doesn't teach the underlying skills that were truly impacting the student. It associates anger with a strategy, which is a great starting off point. But what we found with this student and I have found with countless others is that when we dig deeper, we find that there are more skill deficits that the students have and that's what we need to fit. That's what we need to work on. So if you just caught me, I almost said fix and that is a big trigger for me. We've got to stop. We've got to change the language. It's so crucial that the language we use is going to lead to the actions we take. Remember, we are not fixing anything here. We are supporting, we are coaching, we are guiding, we are not fixing. And I'm human just like you. I catch myself using these words all the time. So I felt, you know, I felt called. I have to, I'm calling myself out on it. So if you're using language like fix, like should, let's stop. Make it a make it a point to to stop those that language and change it. All right, back to the back to the story. All right, so we identified that this student had a skill deficit of a fixed mindset towards mistakes, meaning if he made a mistake, he thought, truly thought that he was a failure. So now let's connect those two things. One, he thinks the work is too easy, and it probably was, but then if he or when he made a mistake on this easy work, he would equate that to being a failure. Well, no wonder that led to the physical behavior of tipping the desks, you know, throwing the materials. He's not only upset with himself about not knowing how to do this work that he quote unquote has called baby work, but he also is now calling himself a failure because of it. Powerful conclusions. So through this discovery, we realized that just identifying when he was angry wasn't going to be enough. We needed to dive into the factors that were making him angry. It wasn't just that the work was too easy. It was also that he didn't know how to accept mistakes as growth or how to ask for work that's more challenging in a more expected way. And he also had trouble identifying the difference between a big problem and a little problem. See, for him, everything was a big problem and everything had a big reaction. So what we did, what I do when I work with teams is we use a stair step analogy. I draw a stair step outline you know, a zigzag line going up on a board on a piece of paper. We write what the student is currently doing at the bottom. And at the top, we take each of those skills and we make a stair step for each one. So we picked one skill, we put it at the top of the staircase, and we break down the mini skills in between that the student needs to learn and master in order to move up. The important part here too is each student's staircase is going to look a little different. Some students go up and over at a very routine amount. Some students go in circles. You know, I'm talking about those circular staircases like in lighthouses where you ask yourselves, are we actually going up? Are we ever going to get there? Spoiler alert, you do get there and you will get there with the student as well. Some students have staircases that are flat for a really long time and then they go up for just a little bit and then they go flat again for a really long time and then they go up. 
All you need to think about is the each step along the way. And the beauty here is that you can't get it wrong. If you miss a step, you add it in. If the student makes quicker progress, you keep moving up. It, the goal is by emphasizing these new skills, the student is not only learning a skill, but the, that challenging behavior naturally reduces. Why? Because they're learning to solve the original problem they had in a more efficient and effective way. The problem is, remember, the tip was to teach three skills to every one challenging behavior. And that's this, this story hopefully highlighted that for you. If we had just picked the anger to go on, we would have missed those, um, those skills of accepting failure, big problem, little problem. So it's not to say overwhelm yourself and come up with all these skills to teach, but I want you to push beyond the one-to-one -one ratio, one challenging behavior to one replacement. I want you to really think about those underlying skills. All right, so let's review. Tip one, involve the students. Tip two, mindset shift that plans are written for adults, not for students. Tip number three, aim for three skills to increase while you're reducing one skill. All right, tip number four, finding the function is just the beginning. So much emphasis is placed on finding the function of behaviors. And don't get me wrong, that is crucial to long-lasting behavior change. After all, I wouldn't be a BCBA if we didn't talk about function a little bit. But, and this is big, function isn't enough. Let me repeat. Function isn't enough. We have to dig deeper. There are four main functions to our behavior. We do the things we do either to escape or avoid something, to seek attention, to gain access to a tangible item, and because it feels good to us internally or that sensory stimulation. But that isn't enough. I want to know why are they escaping? What type of attention or connection are they lacking? What does that item that they want give to them? What is going on in their environment that the student needs to self-soothe in that way? See, the function is our starting point. It's not the final destination. So if you have a function hypothesized, that's great, but keep going. Ask the questions like, why might he be wanting to escape reading every day? Is it too hard? Is it too easy? Is having math at the end of the day too difficult because the student is exhausted? Find the function? Absolutely. But recognize that function is your starting off point. Then keep digging deeper. All right, that brings us to tip number five. Always keep fading the plan as a top priority. With any type of added intervention for a student, the goal is to remove that added support within six to eight weeks by replacing that behavior with a more efficient, more expected response. Let's think back to my plan. Sure, I raised my hand more in class because that's what the card and my teachers told me to do, but it didn't actually teach me a skill. It didn't teach me anything I could take to sixth grade. I didn't learn how to increase my confidence in being wrong. I didn't learn how to handle making a mistake because to me, if I made a mistake, I had somehow failed and I would let the people down. See, the card was a quick fix but it didn't give me anything to take to sixth grade. Because guess what? In sixth grade, the card didn't go with me. So I went back to my safe way, which was staying quiet. So bonus tip for you about quick fixes. If a strategy generally works really quick for a student, it may not have a long lasting behavior change. And that word generally really is important because sometimes it does. 
is the one of the scariest things we do is we put this all or nothing emphasis on behavior change. And I'm going to encourage you to open, to expand your understanding that we are working with humans. And with humans, we have that variable of, of change happening differently among each person. But often those long-lasting changes that we're looking for come with early setbacks, come with resistance. Keep going, keep connecting, keep motivating your students, and keep them involved. So instead of learning how to raise my hand, which was a skill I already knew to do, I, I learned that in kindergarten, I was simply choosing not to, because yes, our students do make choices that we may not like or understand or agree with, but the actual skill I was missing was how to handle a mistake. It was how to handle that, that mistake in front of my peers, in front of my teacher. So it was easier and safer for me to stay quiet than to risk being wrong in front of my peers. So to me, that was the best choice I could make. And I could do that by simply keeping my hand down. I share this story for two reasons. One being that each of us holds power in sharing our stories. It's one of the strongest ways we have to connect to the community around us, whether that's your classroom, your school, your family, whatever it is. We connect and relate to one another through our stories. Another reason I share it is that I get a lot of referrals, a lot of emails, a lot of questions about withdrawn, refusal, shutdown behavior for students shutting down, for students choosing not to do their work. Guys, this was me, yet it wasn't because I was choosing not to. I was doing it to solve my problem of I don't want to be wrong in front of class, in front of my class. So I encourage you, I encourage the staff I work with, don't give up on that student. Don't take the simple route of saying he or she just doesn't care or doesn't know. They do care. They probably do know. So find out what is blocking them and teach them another way to cope with that fear or that hesitation that they have. When we think of behavior, we know that behavior is purposeful. It has meaning. It has communicate. It is communication. We can even say that behavior isn't the problem for the person engaging in it. It's the solution for their problems. If you have a student that has required these tiered levels of supports in school, and the next step is that individual behavior plan, or even if they aren't at that level yet and they just need that extra support, keep these five tips in mind. The next time you write you know, a strategy down, an intervention plan, or a formal behavior plan, and feel the difference. I invite you to feel and look for that difference by using these strategies and truly keeping the, the purpose at the forefront. Let's review them one last time. Tip one, involve the students. Number two, mindset shift that plans are written for the adults to follow, not for the students. Tip number three, aim for three skills to increase while reducing that one skill, that one behavior, excuse me. Tip number four, finding the function is just the beginning. And tip number five, always keep fading the plan as a top priority. And above all else, always remember that plans stay plans until we put them into action. I read this morning a quote by Bob Goff that brings this all together. It was, no one is remembered for what they just planned to do. Plans only work when we take aligned action to make sustained change and always remember that we can only control our own effort, our own attitude that we bring to the situation. We cannot... Gonna emphasize that we cannot change another person's behavior, no matter how hard we try. We can change our reactions, we can change our responses, 
And that is crucial to those relationships. Our relationships are built on when our reactions and our responses engage with our students. As we have a choice every single day, we can enrage our students or we can engage them. Let's join together in engaging our students, in digging deeper and staying focused on igniting our legacy as the adult in the classroom, as the leader in the classroom, as well as well as the legacy of our students. Remember, their paths are being formed today, every single day, and how amazing is it that we get to be a part of it? I love it. It's something I cherish every single day. The time is now. The power is in you. Trust from within and watch that passion soar. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, and as always, we will talk soon.